Today's world misinformation touches everything you know, even our food. This is a Healthier Michigan podcast, episode 136. And coming up, we explore food facts that you've heard that aren't true. Welcome to a Healthier Michigan podcast. This is a podcast that's dedicated to navigating how we can improve our health and well-being through small, healthy habits we can all start implementing right now. I'm your host, Chuck Gatacut. Every other week, we sit down with a certified expert to discuss topics that cover nutrition, fitness, and a whole lot more. And on this episode, we're diving into commonly believed food facts that are actually myths. How did we get these things in our mind? We'll be sure to uncover the truth with some of these food facts along the way as well. With us is registered dietitian for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, Shanti Apello. Good to see you, Shanti. Good to see you. Yeah, thanks a lot. So, you know, this is really interesting. We may have had misconceptions about some kind of food our entire lives, right? From childhood, or we were told by our parents, maybe even our grandparents, sometimes this is, you know, something that was given to us on purpose, maybe, <laughs> you know, like, we don't want you to eat a lot of that, so we'll tell you it's bad for you. <laughs> but the misleading headlines and the hearsay and the gossip, you know, papers as we check out of the grocery store, they're filled with all kinds of misinformation. And this is not exclusive to just Hollywood stars, et cetera. A lot of this is stuff that's related to health, health myths, things that are thrown at us that we get stuck with. So I guess we think it's important that we break free from some of those myths and traditions that maybe aren't even true. They're not even rooted in reality. So for those of us who are following a lifestyle change, used to be called dieting, for some of us, we're just watching what we eat. Let's dig into this, Shanti. It's essential that we know what's up, what's true, what's false, and where you stand on some of this. So we'll try to zero right in on some of these as well. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, Chuck, some of the reasons that these are so popular is that, to be honest, nutrition science is not sexy. There's nothing exciting about nutrition science. There's never a study that comes out that you're like, oh, wow, celery is now the answer. <laughs> but we want to believe that. It's so easy to place blame on a single food that is the culprit to our problems. For example, gluten. Is gluten the bad guy? Oh, it is. So this is a really easy solution because I can just cut this one thing out. We also love the idea of one thing that can make us healthier, like celery juice or like drinking green algae or whatever it is. We want these simple solutions. It's more attractive than hearing the good old have five fruits and vegetables a day, right? Well, and you know what's interesting? I've never thought of it the way you started off the conversation here about it's just not attractive. You know, celery isn't sexy, but yet it's the before and after pictures. You know, they try to make it attractive. And then they kind of bury the headline after you see pictures like, oh, man, yeah, I'd love to look like that guy who's all muscle bound if I just drank celery juice, you know. Yeah. And if we think about some of these before and afters, too, people have something to sell. And oftentimes we know like the part of our brain oftentimes know that there's no logic to why this would work. But we want to believe it because we want the quick before and after. Is that one of the main reasons that these ideas are so popular? It's the quick fix, the magic bullet idea? Yeah. And that's why like keywords like, oh, the secret, your doctor doesn't want you to know. I promise you, your doctor wants you to know all the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Just ask the doctor, right? Yeah. That's probably a good idea. You know, I mean, you don't have to wait a whole year for a wellness check. Just check in with your doctor. All right. So let's get to some of the myths. And um, a lot of these will fly in the face of 
some people who may be listening who have a specific lifestyle change. This first one is that all carbs are bad for you. Okay. So there are three different types of carbs. There are sugars. So these are things like fructose, lactose, sucrose, and they're made up of either one or two molecules. You're going to find them in milk, for example, lactose. You're going to find fructose in fruit. And table sugar is sucrose, which is made up of two different molecules. So that being said, those very simplified sugars generally aren't very healthy, right? We have starches. They're more complex. These sometimes get a bad rap. And then there's fiber. So there are all these different types of carbohydrates. So it's really hard to group them all into one. So there are ones with better quality, lower quality. But all in all, I think one of the reasons that carbs do get a bad rap is that low-carb diets are incredibly effective and generally people drop weight very fast. And that's because whenever you're eating less carbohydrates, you're depleting your storage of carbohydrates in your body called glycogen. That's bound to a lot of water. So you're shedding water in the beginning and you're feeling a lot better because you don't feel as bloated and things like that. But in reality, there are so many good health components to carbohydrates. Our brain wants us to eat carbohydrates so that it can be broken down into glucose and used for fuel. Our bodies, when we're exercising, when we're moving around, it wants to use carbohydrates. So a lot of these carbohydrate foods have so many good nutrients, beans, vegetables, whole grains. There's so many great ones. And oh, I hate this myth. <laughs> well, you know, for a while, I used to look at a banana and think it was an evil thing. Yes. And I used to think, oh my gosh, it's just filled with sugar and blah, blah, blah. I eat a banana nearly every day. I tend to lean toward, you know, whole foods and veggies and fruits, although I'm not opposed to meat, but I tend to lean that way in the things that I eat. I eat so many kinds of carbs. And I mean, if I were to look at my total for the day, I'm over a hundred grams. I'm not saying I'm dropping weight like crazy, but it's certainly not a problem. And I think that's been a thing that I had to adjust in my mind is to get past that myth because, you know, the banana's got nutrients, it's got fiber, it, you know, it's got everything. Yeah. You're almost convincing yourself that like some slices of salami is better than a banana because one doesn't have carbs and the other does, right? Were you peeking in my kitchen? No, honestly, that's, <laughs> I mean, I went through that and it was a bit of a phase. And so I know people who have been extraordinarily successful, low carb, and they've been able to stick with it or use intermittent fasting. God love them. But I think for most of the people, and it's anecdotal, I don't have any research, most of the people that I know that have tried that and really skipped carbs altogether, short of a green bean here or there, and not only has it not worked long-term, weight has come back. Yeah, weight has come back and it often comes back in multitude, way more than you lost to begin with. And gosh, life just isn't fun without carbs, so that's all <laughs> I, I have to say about that. I don't that. know how I could get by without bread. I mean, I honestly how, how don't. How do you go to Italy and you don't eat pasta? Yeah, right, right. All right. Well, here's another one because this is another thing that winds up depending on where you are on what kind of lifestyle change you're after. All foods high in fat are unhealthy. So I think this one may be rooted in the 80s, the 90s, where low-fat diets were very popular. And part of the reason for that is because low-fat foods tends to have fewer calories than those with higher fat. And of course, the fewer calories we eat, in theory, we're going to lose weight. If you look at, for example, one gram of alcohol, that's seven calories, one gram of protein and carbs, four calories, and then fat is nine. So they're not just weighted equal in terms of calories. So that's kind of where that bad rap comes from. But as we're learning more, we're understanding that fatty foods can be so helpful. 
there are, of course, different types of fat. Again, like the carbohydrate conversation, there are those that are higher quality. Unsaturated fats and saturated fats are kind of where we should probably start the conversation. So saturated fat are those fats that are going to be solid at room temperature. So if you see a stick of butter, you're, it's at room temperature. It's not going to be flowing anywhere versus olive oil, right? So those saturated fats, having too much of them just increases your risk for heart disease and generally just aren't very good for you. But then there are these types of fats that are very promotive of uh, heart health or promoting of heart health. And fatty fish is one of them. They have these unsaturated fats, you know, olive oil, avocados are 80% fat and they're an incredible food. They have so much fiber, like 10 grams of fiber in a single avocado. And most Americans don't get enough fiber. So there are all these great sources that are protective of so many different health problems that we should be eating these things. So fatty fish, we should be eating twice a week. The omega-3s that are found in fatty acids are protective against um, dementia and cognitive decline as we age. They're protective against heart disease. And similarly, in nuts, they have omega-3s to offer. And they're incredibly high in fat. They're high in fiber as well. But the thing just to take note of when you're consuming these high-fat foods is just the portion. And I think, you know, to your point about portion control, I do tend to track my food every day to keep myself, that's my accountability partner, you know, in my iPhone. Even this morning when I had a little butter on some toast, I tracked it. It's a teaspoon. You know, it's real butter. It's the real deal, but it's not crazy. I mean, it was like 35 calories and yes, there's some fat to it, but I think, and you've said this so many different times in different episodes, it's a moderation thing, right? If you're going to have a little bit of nuts, don't sit there during the Super Bowl and eat the entire bowl. Exactly. And if you're someone who you're like, well, I just can't control myself. There's no way I can just have a handful of almonds. There's other ways to incorporate these healthy fats. Put them in a salad. Maybe that way you're not going to overconsume them, right? Oh, yeah. Or get your healthy fats from other sources. All right. So here's another one because, you know, a lot of us have canned goods, canned vegetables or produce is not as good for you as fresh produce, that the fresh stuff is way healthier. Okay. I understand where this comes from because the canning process does involve some heat and heat can destroy some nutrients. And so in canned goods, generally the nutrients that are going to be lost are ones that are wa water soluble, B vitamins, vitamin C. So something to keep in mind is like any fruit or vegetable is better than no fruit and vegetable at all, right? But there are actually some nutrients that are enhanced by the canning process. I think this is really interesting. Oh. So antioxidants are actually enhanced by some of this heat. So for example, lycopene in tomatoes, there's actually twice as much lycopene in canned tomatoes than fresh tomatoes because of the canning process. Wow. Yeah. Same thing goes with beta carotene. So, you know, for example, I can't imagine uh, making like pumpkin pie out of a real pumpkin in the fall. You know, I feel like most people are going to use canned pumpkin. But it is going to have more beta carotene. Same with carrots, right? So all these nutrients are actually enhanced. And then another thing is that whenever you're canning goods, oftentimes those vegetables, those fruits are picked at their peak ripeness. Uh, so they're going to have the maximum amount of nutrients. And of course, there's that longevity factor to it. They're approachable. They're easy. They're, uh, you know, affordable and convenient. So I think they're great. Just watch out for that added sugar and sodium, especially if you're consuming like canned fruits. Just make sure they're in juice or water. And then those low sodium veggies are always a good option. But isn't that good advice too for any of the things you've discussed so far to kind of be a label reader? 
Because if even when it says low fat, we learned this when you were talking about the 80s or whatever. I learned early on, yeah, it's a low fat salad dressing, but now start to look at the sugar content. What's making it palatable for us to eat the product that we're told is better for us? And then there's the sugar or the salt or, you know, something else that's baked into the cake, right? Exactly. Which kind of is a good segue into another myth, which is gluten-free foods Uh are healthier for you than those with gluten. I think I've heard this so many times and it's interesting that I continue to hear it. I thought that this would have been debunked so long ago because there has not been any research that suggests that, unless you're, of course, someone who's medically needs to avoid gluten, that it helps with weight loss or any health condition. There are certainly people beyond those with celiac disease who are sensitive and intolerant to gluten. Personally, gluten doesn't make me feel great, but that's something that I've been able to discover through a lot of food diaries, writing down symptoms and elimination, right? That doesn't mean I avoid it altogether or choose gluten-free foods, but it's just something I'm aware of, right? But, you know, what happens kind of to your point about, you know, reading labels and stuff is that gluten-free foods, foods that are modified to taste like gluten foods but don't have it, oftentimes have added fat, added sugar to make them palatable. But again, back to that research side of things, there are really no studies that back up that gluten helps with protecting against weight gain or anything like that. In fact, there are so many foods that have gluten in them that are so healthy for us. Oftentimes, people who start avoiding gluten are going to be missing out on a lot of important nutrients. For example, in whole grains, those B vitamins, those fibers, the antioxidants, the vitamin E. So there's a lot that you miss out on there too. Well, our son, Charlie, truly has celiac. At one time, and maybe still, it was the number one growing ancillary disease related to autoimmune. He's also got an autoimmune disease. And so he's in his 30s and we've learned to deal with Thanksgiving and other times. But I started to study then just because, you know, it's me and I want to read stuff. So I'm looking at the side of the packaging and unless it's almond flour, I get that. A lot of times it's something that's higher on the glycemic index. It's got more sugar, the muffins have more fat and it's made with rice flour. Well, you think you're going to do yourself a favor. I have nothing against it in moderation, right? To your point again. It's just that if you looked at that, you would say, oh, that's a more fattening item than if it had, if you got a gluten muffin or something. Yeah. And oftentimes they're more heavily processed in order to make them palatable like that. All right. So that's a good one. And then, um, you know, because I pick things up and I put them down and I'm always going to work out so I can look like Arnold, this idea that I must have a lot of protein to build muscles. Yeah. This is uh, very common. And actually when I was in undergrad and grad school, I did some research into why college students in particular consume protein and so much protein. If we look at data over the last 10 years and just look at different trends of who is consuming protein enough, over-consuming, under-consuming, men in their younger years, like 19 through your 30s essentially, are over-consuming protein. And a lot of the reason for that is because they want to build muscle, whereas females may be afraid to consume some proteins because they don't want to bulk up too much, right? And I'm not saying that goes for everyone, but that tends to be some of the reasons why people choose to consume or not consume so much protein. Now, there used to be a lot of recommendations by websites that weren't reputable that were recommending very high amount of protein in order to keep up with that exercise. So in reality, protein doesn't build muscle. 
but exercise does and protein does help with that process. You do need protein to help rebuild and help with those muscle tears after exercise, but protein itself doesn't do that. And it is important to consume enough protein, certainly, but overconsuming it isn't something you need to worry about. As a dietitian, if you see someone is overconsuming protein, what's the off ramp on that? What actually happens? Can you you can gain weight, not just bulk up, but you could gain weight, right? Yeah, yeah, you're definitely going to store it as fat eventually because it's just going to be excess calories. For people who have existing kidney problems, it could perpetuate kidney issues consuming too much protein, but again, that's people who have pre-existing kidney problems. But yeah, it can be stored as just extra fat over-consuming. So generally healthy population, the recommendation is 0.8 grams per kilogram of your body weight. For people who tend to have a little bit more exercise, that could be anywhere from, you know, 1.2 to 2 grams per kilogram of body weight. So if you want to calculate how much you are from pounds to kilograms, you just multiply that by 2.2. And, you know, I've seen, I even have a friend who's a doctor who once told me, because we started to have a conversation that went down this path, he said, we all need protein. As we get older, we should be doing strength training, you know, to keep from our muscles wasting away. But he said, I have never had a patient walk in my office where I said, oh, you're protein deficient. He said, I don't see it. You know, it's it's not a thing. So that's an interesting comment from somebody who has eyes on it all the time, you know, that he's not seeing someone who walks in and go, oh, well, yeah, that's your problem. You're not having enough protein shakes, you know. Right. And certainly, you know, if you're if you're working in a hospital wing where people have wounds that need healing and stuff like that. Definitely larger protein needs for an individual like that. But all in all, most people get enough protein. If you fill your plate with about a third of protein, you're going to be fine. And I did my bad Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he's now, it's either vegan or vegetarian. He's gotten away from meats and all that protein, and he's still getting protein in his legumes and his beans and whatever other sources. But that's really interesting to me, that a lifetime of bodybuilding has led to a guy who's now switched over, leaning plant-based, if not totally plant-based. Yeah. And speaking of age, though, just an extra little insert here is that as we get older, around in our mid-30s, definitely early 40s, we start, you know, losing muscle mass. So protein needs do generally increase around age 40 from like the okay. point A to like one gram per kilogram. Okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. You wouldn't think it would be increasing, but that's an intriguing sidebar to this, right? Yeah. Especially if you're working out, you're trying to maintain some kind of muscle mass as you age. Yeah, definitely. So uh, milk, oh, milk, real whole milk, any kind of milk is actually necessary for healthy bones. Yeah. So milk obviously has calcium and calcium is important for healthy bones, especially for kids, right? Having enough calcium during childhood is so important for strong bones. And we see, you know, low calcium intake is linked to weaker bones and things like that. Now, you know, milk is not the only place to get calcium. There are so many other places to get it. And one of the ways that I personally get it is through oat milk. Uh, the oat milk I buy has calcium added to it. There are so many different options nowadays. Soy products has a lot of calcium. There's a lot in green leafy vegetables. There are so many other sources of calcium. It doesn't have to be milk. And then, you know, there are other really important nutrients for bone building too. It's not just calcium. We've got vitamin D in the mix, vitamin K, magnesium, potassium. So it's not just that calcium that's, you know, necessary for those healthy bones. 
Interesting. And I know milk, cow's milk has been very controversial. You know, the way it's acquired and the healthfulness of it in general, that we're humans, why are we on cow's milk as babies come out of the womb and beyond? So I know it's probably more complex than we're giving it credit for, but it's interesting to think. And I have switched. I don't know if I've ever told you this. I've now switched to oat milk. I was almond milk for a while. I, I enjoy it. I never, and I eat oatmeal it's a lot. Delicious. I, it is delicious. It is really good. And I never really assigned value Again, because I'm wonky and reading labels, that there's protein in oatmeal, protein in corn on the cob. There, there's protein in some of the stuff that you just wouldn't even think, oh, there's a little protein in this, right? So kind of a benefit there. Okay, being a vegetarian or a vegan, having a diet like that is automatically a healthy diet. Oh, goodness. Yeah, th- I definitely see where this is coming from because in theory, if you're vegan and vegetarian, you're going to be eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, right? Because you're not eating meat. So what else are you filling your body up with plants? And we know that plants are associated with so many protective benefits when it comes to our health from contributing to preventing heart disease, diabetes. There are so many different ways, right? But there are so many ways that you can also eat very unhealthily if you're vegan and vegetarian, right? There are a lot of ultra processed foods, Like you can be a vegetarian and drink diet soda. You can eat cheese pizza. You can fill your belly up with candy, right? All of those are technically vegetarian. So it really just depends on what you're filling up your plate with. Yeah. And then there's the, you know, the other idea here that being a vegetarian also means that you're, you're going to get every nutrient possible and all the vitamins possible. While you get a lot of them, you're not going to get all of them, right? Right. Yeah, there are certainly some nutrients that people have to be more mindful of if they're vegan or vegetarian to make sure that they get like B12 and iron and things like that. Yeah. Are you big on supplements in general for yourself and for anybody you've talked to? I'm not actually. Yeah. I'm only for them for people who are deficient or in a certain group where you need them. And the reason for that is because there's not any strong research out there that suggests that it makes you live longer, makes you healthier or prevents disease. So, you know, what's the point, right? I mean, there are certainly people, for example, who are pregnant, lactating, you know, planning on becoming pregnant, who can benefit from certain supplements. There are people who are deficient in certain nutrients that benefit from them. Elderly people tend to benefit from them. And then, of course, you know, breastfed babies need a supplement. So anyways, All this to say, there's a time and a place for it, but for the generally healthy people, I don't. So we've discussed a lot of these myths and you've unraveled some of this for us. Where are the best sources for information where we want to go and know that it's trustworthy information relative to our diet? So .gov, .edu sources, definitely looking at people who are certified health professionals, whatever you're looking at. So for example, for all things nutrition, registered dietitians, we spend a lot of time in school focusing specifically on that. There are you know, different certifications out there that may mimic those of a registered dietitian that you know, haven't gone through all of the required courses and all of that. And the same thing goes for other health professions, right? Just making sure that you're getting it from reputable sources. So even if you go to TikTok and Instagram and these social media sites, oftentimes they may not be the best place to get information because some of it can be very biased, but there are also very good sources on sites like that too. So just making sure you're looking at who is giving you the information. And if they're citing research, I think that that's so important too. And not just using research that is convenient at the time, you know, making sure that they're citing research that are randomized controlled trials that are based on large groups of people, diverse people and things like that. 
Yeah, we do live in a world where everybody on social media seems to be an expert nowadays. Everybody's a yes. coach or everybody's a consultant or everybody's an expert of some kind. And then if actually I do this, sometimes I dig into a resume and it's like, ah, not so much. <laughs> Maybe not, you know. Yeah. Well, it's good to see you again. Thanks. You too. Bye, Chuck. Shatia Pello joining us, registered dietitian for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Thanks for listening to a Healthier Michigan podcast. It's brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. If you like the show and you want to know more, you can always check us out online at a healthiermichigan.org slash podcast. You can leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. And you can get new episodes, old episodes as well. Take them with you as you're walking. Put them on your tablet. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or use your favorite podcast app. I'm Chuck Gatica. Be well.